the very qualities we render impossible. We laugh at honor, integrity, and truth, and are shocked when we find traitors in our midst. We remove the organ and demand the function. We castrate and then bid the geldings be fruitful. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. We discover something essential about our hearts on the journey to understand our own story. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Merry Christmas. We're coming at you. It is going to release and publish on Christmas Day. And so we've got a great Christmas movie for you. It is not Elf. It is not It's a Wonderful Life. It is not even Miracle on 34th Street or Christmas Vacation or Home Alone or Home Alone 2. No, it's Die Hard. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant. Because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. I'm here with Britt Mooney. Hey, man. What is up, guys? Excited to be back. And we are, it's not Christmas that we're recording, but we're going to pop it open. We're going to share it with people on Christmas Day. And this is probably one of the most controversial takes we may ever have. Maybe. Of, uh, of is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, so here, here's my take on this. I put a post on Facebook where I asked about Christmas movies. <laughs> I also put a post on Facebook where I asked about the top guy movies. So I said, when you think of guy movies, what do you think of? And, and then it was a couple of weeks later that I asked the question, what about Christmas movies? And, you know, cause I make a list every Christmas of movies I would like to watch over the break. Um, and so I just asked for some input and the number one movie mentioned, no joke was Die Hard by men and women on my Facebook page. Now that could be because of my friends, who my friends are like, that, <laughs> like that, that's not like official data or anything. However, I found it very interesting that Die Hard was one of the top movies listed in guy movies. And it was probably the top movie listed in Christmas movies. So I believe it is a Christmas movie and I was surprised as I was getting into it and watching it and taking notes, just how much of a message there really is in this thing. It's really good. So, yeah. So it could be the echo chamber effect of that's be. just the people. <laughs> it could be. But so, so why would you say what support your, your, uh, your opinion of why this is, a, I have my ideas, but I want to hear yours first. Oh man. I mean, we can just jump right into it, so, uh, <laughs> but we, but just like with any movie, if this movie had just been about a guy 
alone trying to survive in an action movie in a building or I mean it might have worked but just like with anything and that's why we we're doing this podcast but just like with anything there has to be a context that makes it relatable to people like you have to give a goal that people can relate to um and the guy who wrote saved by uh no saved uh, saved the cat he i forget his name but he says it's primal it's got to be a primal goal and and so there is a there is a family dynamic that's going on here that people can relate to um, you know, there's, there's this distance from his wife and there's a separation. And, and as far as, as far as Christians go, this is, again, this is the gospel. This is the gospel because essentially they think their problems are with each other, but that's not their real problem. Like their hmm. real problem isn't their marriage because what's about to encroach upon their life is someone who wants to steal, kill and destroy them. That's, that's actually the real problem. Yeah. Hans is a pretty good Satan character. He's, he's got to, we'll play some clips here about how, how effectively that voice is in our own heads. Well, and let's just say Alan Rickman is an amazing actor and, and, uh, just so many movies that he's been in, uh, especially Harry Potter. People know him from that, but he has been yeah. amazing. And this, I think this movie from what I remember was really his kind of breakout movie. Like, it, like he started to get a lot more roles after this because of how, what a great job he did. But yes, he lies all the time. He's out to steal. He kills people. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and he's got more C he's got enough C4 to blow up the entire building. So he's literally he literally does steal, he's kill, literally and destroy. there to steal, kill, and destroy. <laughs> and and just to relate it to what's going on with us as people, as men, is we have been given the armor of God to fight, but we haven't been given the armor of God to fight each other. That's not why we've been given the armor of God. And in the movie, John McClane and Holly are both tough as nails. They're both tough people. And they keep making this sort of reference to, oh, I'm a New York cop. You know, that's kind of his identity. You know, they're trying to set that up in the beginning. But they even set that up with Holly where she she has made it to the second in command or whatever of the company. And they say, Oh man, she's tough as nails. Like she's tough too, but they've, they've been, they've taken their, their toughness and they've, uh, they've put it against each other. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to slow you okay. down here. Cause you are getting into the movie. I'm telling you, because I think that's, that's great. But the Christmas movie, you know, there's Christmas music throughout yes. all through the movie. It starts with it. It ends with let it snow. You've got, uh, you know, he uses wrapping tape at the end to attach the gun to his back. He uses Santa Claus stuff. You know, ho, ho, ho. Christmas is a theme. Exactly. It's a theme throughout yeah, yeah. the whole movie. I mean, and, and it's the only, it's the only reason that all these people are together is because of the Christmas, it's of the Christmas party. party. And spoiler alert, as we do with all these movies, we're going to get into spoilers, <laughs> but at the end they realize their real priority. Right. And that's, that's the message of Christmas is what's really important. And that's what we should all right. know. That's what, you know, that's what a lot of these Christmas movies are about, not about the gifts or the toys, even the ones that are about gifts and toys. It's in like jingle all the way. We watched the other night, you know, but it's right. really about something that is a horrible movie. <laughs> it's really not, not that great of a movie, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but at the end, what's the, what do they have to learn? Like being together is more important. Being with each other is more important than the toy or whatever. Right. So. Which at this, this in 2020 Christmas is almost the, the, the gift that it's like the carrot on a stick. That's not quite like, yeah, being together is the greatest gift, but a lot of people nowadays uh, right. are having hey, a challenge yeah. of exactly getting together. Yeah. So if you're listening, thanks for spending Christmas with us. <laughs> and John McClain. <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards, you know, get on a zoom call or FaceTime with you know, some family or some friends and, and, uh, yeah, it's funny because kind of going to that getting together thing, and we'll get to the movie here. It w- it took the pandemic. My brother and my dad both live in Texas, lived there for 10 years. But it was only in March or April that we started saying, hey, why don't we do a virtual happy hour, you know, using FaceTime or Zoom to spend time together sitting on the porch, smoking a cigar or drinking a beer. But like, why didn't we ever use this technology before? Because it was there and it's available, right, but, yeah. you know, it takes a pandemic for us to get to that point. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one way that it's actually brought people together. I, I Well, it's forced us to be creative. And that's, yeah. that's another thing that's all throughout the movie is that the conflict forces him to be creative. He's almost like a MacGyver. Like MacGyver oh, was yeah. a huge show in the 80s, by the way, if you, if you weren't around. <laughs> And those, we will play some movies that are non 80s. We will, we'll get there. <laughs> but the, uh, but MacGyver was this huge show and he kind of MacGyver's his way through. He's, he's like the opposite of James Bond. I was thinking about this today. He's the opposite of James Bond. Like the, the guy doesn't have <laughs> shoes on. He's just got a t shirt, wife beater t shirt on, which is a horrible name for t shirt, by the way. But he's got this t shirt on and, He's got like one gun, you know, like James Bond has all the gadgets and he's got all the stuff and he's dressed up in a suit, but he's like the total opposite, you know, of James Bond. Uh, and so on purpose, obviously, like that's. He never trying. looks cool doing anything. He never looks cool doing anything, <laughs> um, but he's got attitude and that, that goes a, a long way. Um, so, yeah. All right. So let's get into the movie. And uh, I caught this line in the very opening scene of the movie that I had never seen before. And John's coming in uh, on an airplane. And I think this, this may have been, they might've even been smoking on the plane. Cause you know that you could do that in the eighties, I guess. Back then, yeah. And so they're coming in and this guy, you know, he's flying from New York to LA and the guy he's sitting next to talks to him and gives him what seems like some friendly advice, but turns out to be some of the worst advice in the whole movie. You don't like flying, do you? Gives you that idea. You want to know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks. Then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes. Now, that seems pretty innocuous. <laughs> what a nice guy. Seems a little weird. And But as we'll come to find out, that move, that not move that suggestion, that recommendation, that, that innocent advice turns out to be really painful. And, you know, he ends up going through, like you said, going through the movie without shoes on running through the broken glass, which then creates one of the most uh, powerful scenes in the movie. But it's this innocent advice from somebody we don't ever see from see again or hear from again, but it has a major impact 
And so I was just wondering, I was like, how often does that actually happen where somebody throws out some line that we think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And then we even forget the source and it just sort of leads us into a bad place. Yeah, I think it goes all along with what's being pointed out at the very beginning of the movie. They keep trying to point this out is that John McClane is not in his element. Hmm. Like this is a man out of his element. And even from the first the first scene, you don't like to fly. Like he doesn't like right. to fly. And this guy's giving him advice and he's trying to figure out this whole other world because, and this is one thing I like about the beginning. And I think it's one thing that again, subconsciously, I think we, we sort of connect to is that John McLean and his wife are technically separated Uh, Because she has taken this job out in LA and she's moving on with her life. And he feels like she's leaving him behind and abandoning, abandoning him. And he feels like a failure as a man. I'm sure like all of these things are going on, all of these implications. And, and yet he is coming to her. He actually is making an effort. And I think that makes us like him, even though he's not really a jerk, but he's kind of root for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even in that, even in that scene, he says, you know, I stayed in New York because there's a backlog of bad guys. Yeah. So you're like, oh, he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he fights crime. You know? Yeah. He, <laughs> he has a purpose. He knows his purpose, which is I'm here to fight bad guys. And and so, yeah, so there's a lot of things that we start to pull for in John and that he hasn't really learned. But see, there's also some things he needs to learn, obviously. But but just the whole thing is that he's not in his element. He goes to the party and he's like California and there's a guy kissing him. And I mean, there's all this stuff that's happening. Oh, he gets in a limo. There's all this stuff. And we'll get into all that, I'm sure. But but a lot of that is just showing us as as story that he is out of his element and he is a man out of his element. And it's not until, by the way, it's not until he gets thrown into the fight that he's actually back in his element. Like that's, that's his character in the movie. Like now he's comfortable, even though he doesn't have shoes on and he's, he's just in a t-shirt. Now he's comfortable because now it's, right. it's about getting the bad guys. Uh, and it's for a purpose. Uh, but, but all of that is set up in the beginning. He loves his kids. And I just like that about that, that beginning part is that with his character, he's actually reaching out to her and to his kids. He's making a sacrifice to, to try to be with them. And I think that's something that we as men can learn from that. That's a manly thing to do, to go into some place that we may feel uncomfortable and awkward and we, we might fail, but we're going to try, we're going to show up, you know? And that's interesting too, as you talk about that and, and he wasn't in his element, but he ends up bringing what he does have to that environment. Yep. When John meets the limo driver, Argyle, who, who is, there's an important scene with him that comes up too. That I think is very important for us to talk about. But, but in the beginning, Argyle starts to kind of figure him out and, and he, John lets him know, I, well, because he's sitting in the front of the limo. He, he doesn't sit in the back. Sit in the back. He he's sit sitting in the up back. front with Argyle. Because he's a New York cop. <laughs> but he, um, but all that to say is Argyle starts to figure him out. And uh, John McClane has a big teddy bear and he's got the stuff. And, and you can tell John is there to try to win her back. Like there's that part of him, he, even though he doesn't say it, but right. Argyle does. He's like, are you going to have a happily ever after? And John says, I'd be okay with that. I can live with that. Like, you know, like you can see that's his heart. And so, but when he's there, 
you can tell, man, he's so uncomfortable because he's out to get bad guys and he can tell Ellis is a bad guy. Like this guy is not, you know, he can tell he's sitting right. on his wife. He can tell, you know, obviously he was doing cocaine. There's all this stuff. And, and he's very uncomfortable that his wife is in the middle of it. You know, the contrast, the big contrast wasn't between John McClane and Hans, the, the terrorist bad guy. It was between John and Ellis, the, the smarmy salesman guy. He gets, like you mentioned, he gets to the party. John does. And then they go in, they go into Holly's office to wait for her. She's off somewhere doing something. He walks in and what you don't see is he's doing some cocaine on Holly's desk right. when John walks in. And then we get, John gets to meet Ellis for the first time. Ellis. I was just making a call. This is the, the nurse phone. I want you to meet John McClain. Holly's husband. Holly's policeman. Ellis is in charge of international development. Heard a heck of a lot about you. <laughs> Miss something. Can I get you anything? Food, cake, some watered down champagne? No, thank you. I'm fine. You throw quite a party. I didn't realize they celebrated Christmas in Japan. <laughs> We're flexible. Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you a tape decks. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of sort of a double celebration. We uh, we closed a pretty big deal today, and a lot of it was due to Holly. Am I right, Jojo? <laughs> Everyone? Oh, been sticking him with spears. <laughs> of course he has. She was made for the business. Tough as nails. I was hoping you made that flight. Show him the watch. <clears throat> Later. Well, go on, show him. What are you embarrassed? It's just a small token of appreciation for all her hard work. It's a Rolex. He's like, yeah, you still got some, some dust there on your nose, there, pal, and. His, his big fake business laugh, and he's like, show him the watch. It's Rolex. You're just like, oh, my word. Here's a guy who's, this is his element, conversely with where John's feeling completely uncomfortable, and he's there, and he's, he, the, the con, you, they, it's, they set up that contrast right away. Yep. Like, so you've got that big, not confrontation, but the introduction of those two elements. And then... Previously, when he had gone up, he had seen that Holly had switched to her maiden name. Yes. Which was a was a wounding event for John. Yeah. And as they got, you could tell in her voice, she's like, John, oh, you know, she was afraid he wouldn't make it. She yeah. didn't know, you know, this was back in the 80s. You didn't have cell phones to text from the plane. Hey, I'm leaving on the plane. <laughs> and so she was happy he was there. He wanted to get cleaned up. And so she takes him to another office with a bathroom so he can get washed up. After a, if anybody's taken a three to five hour flight or longer, you know, after that kind of flight, you de the, the number one thing is to get cleaned up. And so you get this, this scene where she offers an olive branch and to me, and, and I'm going to play it, but it, it hits because I think of all the times where, uh, in interactions with my wife and that little invitation that comes and John sort of, he makes a decision. Yeah. And it's one I think a lot of us yeah. make a yeah. lot of times. I missed 
I guess you didn't miss my name, though, huh? Except maybe when you're signing checks. Since when did you start using Ms. Gennaro? It's a Japanese company. They figure a married woman's got You are a married work. woman, Holly. You're married to well, me. We're going to have this Remember, conversation again. We did this in July. We never a, finished this conversation in July. I had an opportunity. I had yeah, to take right. it. Right. No matter what the consequences, no matter what it did to our marriage, it you had to take it. didn't do anything to our marriage except maybe change your idea of what our marriage should be. I don't think be. you have a clue as to what my idea of our I marriage should be. I know exactly what your idea of our marriage should be. That's almost a heartbreaking scene for me because I think of all the fights that in that moment she's happy to see him. She's, oh, I missed you, with the, an emotional and love in her voice. And he responds of, yeah, didn't miss my name, though, did you? And immediately they're back in fighting. As, and this is, where I wanted, this is where I wanted to slow you down earlier because you were talking earlier about our fight isn't with each other. That's right. But a lot of times we do. Well, yeah. <laughs> fight with each other. <laughs> well, and, and it's because we don't know the truth, right? right. John and Holly are fighting with each other because they don't know there's a bigger story going on. And that's what this movie's about to me, spiritually, is a lot of times God comes into our life, right? And we think he's here to fix my marriage or he's here to get me a better job. And God doesn't even talk to me about that. God's inviting me into this much bigger story that's happening. There's a war in heaven or whatever. Like he's, he's inviting me to this way bigger story. And, I, and I'm like, God, don't you care about my marriage? God does care about my marriage. But God says, if you'll seek first the kingdom, all that other stuff will, will be in its right perspective. And it's right. And you'll have the right priorities. You, you, you'll have your priorities right. And in fact, as I was talking about this with somebody recently, I said, I said if God didn't do that, he would hate us. If, if God came into our life and didn't tell us there was someone about to come into our life and kill us, to destroy, to steal, to kill, to lie, if he didn't tell us about that, that would be hate. But so often we think, well, God comes into my life and he doesn't immediately deal with my personal problems. Right. And God's what God's trying to do. And, and so then we think, well, he doesn't love me. He must not love me if he's not dealing with my personal problems. And, and what I think this movie shows is that, again, these two people were tough as nails, but she learns to use, as, as we go through the movie, she's, she becomes tough with Hans, and he becomes tough with Hans. Like they, they both turn that toughness that they have, that character, they both turn that to Hans. And, and you're right, the Ellis character is a contrast because when, when the crisis happens, their, real, their characters shine. Right. Yeah. And his character is revealed as well. Crisis reveals our character. Mm. And so, and so when, when these people are thrown into crisis, that's why we love movies, right? We love movies because crisis reveals character. We don't like crisis. No, no none of us <laughs> like it. Like none of us think, oh boy, I really hope there's a crisis today. No, no, nobody does. Like we talked about with, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. Like Neil would not have chosen any of those events. Yeah. And, but at the same time, God allows us and puts us into crisis. Uh, James 1 says, rejoice when you're put into crisis, essentially, because of why? Because that's where your character is going to shine. Right. And God knows, God knows you have the armor of God. God knows you have his spirit. God knows you have this stuff, and he's putting you in a position to shine. And that's what this movie is about. This movie is, is about 
is that it's through their fight of, of in a bigger story, they actually do reconcile yeah. because without it, they would not have reconciled. And even though he, even though, man, he brought the bear and I mean, <laughs> they both wanted to right? like, and, and, and we feel that tension. Like you're right. It's so heartbreak, heartbreaking because it's relatable to us. And w- what does he say? Uh, he says, you know, good job. You know, like when she finally oh, leaves yeah, and he's, he's like, like real mature, you know, like he realizes what he did, but, but we all feel that we feel helpless in the moment in our personal problems, because we feel like I just can't get, I'm so stuck. I can't get out. But, and that's why it seems so contrary for God to come into our lives and go, there's a bigger story come into the bigger story. And we're like, I can't get my life right. Right. (laughs) Right. We think I can't, I can't fix this. Well, and I think uh, I've heard somebody when, cause they talk about it is like, well, I just, why does God allow all this stuff to happen? And it's, what you were just talking about of this, my marriage isn't great. My job isn't great. My kids aren't great. And there's a, what I heard somebody say, well, God's not the big pooper scooper walking around behind you, cleaning up our messes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Because God allows us the freedom to make our own decisions because he wants us to love him. But that love isn't love unless it's freely given. It can't be right. compelled. It can't be commanded. It can't be coerced. Good. And what you see is, yeah, you're in this situation. And then the consequences, the, the struggles, the sufferings, the trials that happen are there to get rid of, as you mentioned, the crisis illuminates the character. And yeah. he's like, oh, man, I don't like, I wish I had a little uh, revert rewind button that can go back and redo yeah. that thing of just, you know, he probably says, I probably should have just gone over and kissed her. <laughs> right? No, no restarting the fight and just, and he's like, and he says that. And again, the, the, the way the movie goes, it's, it's leading through that of saying, I don't like who I was in that moment. Yeah. And what am I going to do about it? Yeah. And well, and, and it's revealed, like I said, what's, what's really important because if he had known what was really important and if she had known what was really important, then not that there would have been compromises, but they could have attacked the problem together just like they attacked. See, this is what God wants to teach us, especially as, as married people, when these problems and these crises come in, we start attacking each other because we generally have different ideas of the solution. We think, you know, and, and, or we're afraid and and out of fear, we're trying to control or or whatever. There's anger and there's all this stuff that happens. And, and we have to remember that the problem is not between us. The problem is outside of us. And the only way we're going to tackle the problem is if we do it together, is if we attack it together side by side, not face to face against one another. That's the only way we're going to do this. And, and, and this happened to me yesterday. Something <laughs> happened yesterday and, and it had the potential to just totally derail my day at least. But there's all these other things going on in my life that were cool that God was opening doors for. Like I was telling you before we started recording, like, God was opening these doors. And yet at the same time, there's this whole other thing happening. This crisis coming into our life that says, pay attention to me. Yeah. And I, I had to remind myself because, you know, I just taught about it on Sunday. Like, <laughs> like maybe I should actually do what I'm telling. No. Uh, and, and I had to remind myself, like, 
there's someone out there who wants to distract us. Not that we don't deal with the problem, but that we deal with the problem in its mm. proper perspective, that this will pass. You know, I told somebody the other day, I was at a book signing at a coffee shop and, and she, uh, with, for the Say Yes book. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I was talk, tell, talking to her about the book and, and she was, she was, uh, there was a, the waitress, not a waitress, but she worked there at the coffee the shop. Barista. Uh, uh, she might've been a barista. <laughs> she, um, and, and she's, you know, cause my book is, the book is all about say yes and find your dreams. Like what, what, what is God dreaming with you? Mm-hmm. Like, what does God want you to dream about? It's cause it's usually bigger and all that stuff. And so she and I just started talking about that stuff. And she was like, Oh, I said, well, what's your dream? And she's like 17. And she says, well, I want to travel. I want to be a missionary. I want to do all this stuff. I said, well, what's stopping you from doing it? That's all I said. It's like <laughs> straight out of the book. I said, yeah. like, what's stopping you? And she says, well, I'm, I'm only in high school. I said, they have high school missions. You can go places with adults or like a group or something. She goes, yeah, but there's COVID. And I said, look, here's something I've learned because I'm old. All the problems <laughs> I had last year, I don't have this year. Like almost 99% of the problems that I had last year, I don't have those problems this year. All the problems I have this year, I probably won't have them next year. Like mm-hmm. you can't let your problems, which are very temporary. Very transient very transient dictate how you react to things. And, and that's, and that's the temptation and that's why we feel stuck. And, and without, and without that outside perspective that there's a bigger story going on and you're a part of it. Like that's in our intro, right? There's a bigger story going on and you're invited into it. And that's what's, that's basically what's happening in this movie. Yeah. And we get some cool action shots and yippee ki and all kind of stuff. We get, we get some cool stuff along the way what you said was so interesting because I think in this, again, not literal here, but just kind of using our creative imagination in this movie, God uses their fight to put them where they need to be because Holly goes out to speak to the crowd to say something so that she's there so that she can then fight for her people and lead the, the employees to Hans and say, Hey, we we need food. We need bathroom breaks. We need, you know, this lady needs a couch. Yeah. That's a great scene. She negotiates with, with, um, Hans for the kind of their, their rights. And then John is there by himself. So when the gunfire goes off, he can then go be John. So she's being Holly where she is. He's being John where he is. And they're not like their fight is completely forgotten. You'll see things in their comments and the way that they're acting, that they are the most important things in the building to each other. at right. those moments. And, uh, that's so good. And it's so important because when, the, when crisis really happens, you, you realize what's really important. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite writers and, and uh, I can re- recommend anything he, he's written, but he's got letters and papers from prison. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a German theologian during world before, leading up to and during world war two. And be, he was a pacifist. He's a very interesting guy. He was a pacifist, but actually participated in a plot to kill Hitler. <laughs> and yeah. because of that, he was put in a concentration camp and the, and there, this is a collection of, the, the letters and stuff that he wrote while he was in a concentration camp. And in one of those letters, I'll never forget. This is a theologian. This is a church guy. Yeah. And he says, I don't miss, I thought I would miss the songs. I thought I would miss the teaching. I thought I would, I thought I would miss the worship. He said, but in the, in this place, I just miss you. I miss the people. 
I just miss being with people and seeing you. And, and that's what they're learning in the midst of this. Like, oh, you mean it's, it's about big, it's bigger than just her job and my job. She could die. I could die. Like there's something bigger going on here. I could never see her again. And, and, you know, they've got him through, you know, the movie looking at his kids and all that kind of stuff. And it's all really good. And there's another really great scene that, you know, we, we can't skip over, but with Argyle in the limo. So Argyle is the limo driver and he's a young guy, a young African-American guy. And, and he's cool. And, and he's so nice to John. And he says, look, man, let me just stick around. I'm just going to stick around and see how it goes with your woman. I'm going to stick around just in case you need a ride somewhere. And he leaves the big teddy bear, right? Why didn't he bring the yeah. big teddy bear? Because he's holding back, right? Because they're afraid and they're, and they're hurt and they're wounded and they're both. And so they're not really being open and honest with one another, but he did get her a big teddy bear. I mean, or, you know, you know, all this, stuff. Yeah. or maybe it's for the kids. It could have been for the kids, I guess. But all that to say is, so Argyle is in the parking deck underneath the building. And when the machine gun fire starts going off, John is up, up on one of the higher floors and he says, come on, Argyle, hear the, hear the gunfire. Cause he had a, he had a car phone. Yeah. One of the things that happened when John McClane was, was getting cleaned up and he was waiting on Holly is he was trying to make a phone call and the line went dead. So he knows Argyle has a, has a car phone and he's like, He's literally praying. He's like, come on, Argyle, you, you got to hear the gunfire. And they cut to Argyle and he's rocking out, watching TV, hanging out with the big teddy bear, having the time of his life in the limo. Yeah. And that was another great scene to me because not only do our problems distract us, but our entertainment distracts us. Mm. And even though this is a podcast about watching movies and I love watching movies, (laughs) but at the same time, see, and and they're connected because what happens is because of our problems, we just want relief. We want to break. Right. And uh, we just want to break from, from life. And so we watch a movie and, or we eat something and that's that in and of itself isn't bad that you enjoy life. And yet, but we have to be careful that, our entertainment in the moment and our pleasure in the moment doesn't distract us from the bigger story that's going on either. Yeah. And, and it does for Argyle for Argyle. He's literally why he's watching TV and he's rocking out and he's missing the fact that there is literally a battle happening right above his head. And I'm, and I was watching that going, that is the most spiritual thing. Yeah. Like if that's not America on their cell phones on, on Facebook, I just don't know what is. Like, like people, people are just so into their entertainment. And I mean, I know I watch a lot. I, I think I watch a lot, but then I talk to people. And I'm like, man, they watch even more than I do. Like yeah. staying up till after midnight every night, watching binge watching. Yeah. And we're not condemning or criticizing any of that. No, no, no. Cause I love it too. Like we're, we're, yeah. we're sitting here saying we love these movies. We're talking about movies. <laughs> but but at the same time, you know, there, there has to be that, that moment where we pull away and we are still. And we realize when Jesus says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Like we have to find our rest in, in Christ and in Jesus. We have to find our rest in God. And then we can still enjoy movies, but we're not, they won't be idols to us. They won't be a distraction to us because we're coming from a different perspective. So I just thought that was a really important scene as well. Yeah. 
And it's interesting because, like you said, he's missing the battle that's going on. He does end up being coming a part of it towards the end he of does, the movie. Yeah. But he has to see it on TV. Right. I, I, I thought, I thought you know, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he literally isn't paying attention to the battle that's right above him. He has to see it through the TV. He's like, oh, wait a minute. That's literally happening right above me. Um, it's so spiritual And I'm to a me. part of it because he gets trapped in the parking garage. And, and I'm a part of it. I think most, many churches today, it seems like, you know, or many Christians, at least the battle is something that's sort of imaginary, that's sort of internal or oh, right. yeah, just yeah, something, yeah. you know, you don't want to be weird uh, talking about, you know, as you mentioned, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and powers and authorities and, that's right. you know, bad guys that may seem to be imaginary, things that can't be seen. Yep. And uh, in, in this. Very good culture in this society, we don't really like admitting there's things that we can't, you know, run lab tests on or can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. But we, we still face a lot of that because love and happiness and joy are not really measurables or scientific either. Right. And we're pretty sure those exist. Well, and those are unseen, right? Right. Those are also unseen. And a good friend of mine says it takes an unseen God to give us unseen things like happiness, joy, love. Like it, it takes an unseen source to actually give that. Like physical seen material things cannot provide things that are unseen. Um, it can make us happy for a moment. But th there's another great kind of moment that I really liked, which when John McClane, you know, figures out this, this whole thing is going down, he escapes and he is freaking out. Okay. He's up, he's, uh, like I said, he's a floor or two above, he's escaped and he's freaking out and he, and he stops and he goes, and he tells himself to think, he goes, think, think, think. And that's exactly what he didn't do in that conversation with Holly. <laughs> because he was in a situation he's not comfortable with. He, right. <laughs> this wasn't his, his element, but now he's in this element and he goes, okay, I got to think like before I act. I have to, I, I can't just react. I have to act with purpose. And that is such a, a great picture of who we should be as men, because so often we start freaking out and we react and we don't think about what we do before we do it because we're angry or we're, or we're afraid or, you know, I know we're not supposed to say we're afraid, but we do, we get afraid too. And we want to control things or we got to fix things or, or whatever. And instead of just stopping for a moment and, you know, saying, look, let me just think for a second. Let me just call, be still, listen to God, and and then come at this from a, a better perspective. And that's what he does. And he then he starts being really resourceful right. because he has nothing. All he's got is his gun and no shoes and, and his pants and, you know, whatever. He's yeah. just, now he can be creative and resourceful in the moment. And that's what we have to do in crisis. We have to step back. Like I talked about how I had to do yesterday. We have to step back and go, look, there's something bigger happening here. And, and how should I, how should I deal with this? You know? Yeah. It's the difference between reacting and responding. Yeah. Good. Very good. And so we're going to fast forward a little bit. John's up there. He's taken out one of the other bad guys. He's trying to get, trying to do some things to get the police in to alert the authorities. And he figures out, he gets a radio and he's talking with Hans and Hans is trying to Hans is the bad guy, right? The big bad guy, the, the boss. And he's trying to figure out who is this guy who just, killed this other person how does he know our names and he's and he's sort of like the that question of who are you just keeps popping up who are you then just a fly in the ointment hans the monkey in the wrench the 
pain in the ass. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... We couldn't get away without having that line in. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? When we talk about how Hans is such a... Uh, uh, image, a model replica example of the enemy of Satan and his demonic forces in the world. That is how they go after you. That is how Satan went after Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, you know, bang, it's about his identity. Yep. And Hans is trying to figure out who John is so that he can take him out. Yep. Because until he knows who he is, he can't do it. And one of the, the lines from one of his books, John Eldridge says, uh, the devil is somebody who knows what you could be right, and fears it. Yep. He knows who you can be if your heart comes alive, if, if the spirit of God actually moves in you and through you and transforms your life and then through you, the life of everyone around you. And he wants to do anything he can do to stop that. That's right. Yeah, I, I talked about that. Uh, on Sunday and yesterday, by the way, in, in our pastor's meeting, I said, there are two people who believe you have the power to change the world, God and the devil. There are two people. And they know your value. God is trying to get you to be who he created you to be. He's trying to get you to be the hero that you've been created to be, that you want to be. It's your purpose. And you want to be there. And yet, like you said, the enemy is trying to do whatever he can to keep you from doing that. And, and you're right. It's, it's an attack on, on his resources, right? You don't really think you can win this, do you? You know, like there's yeah. those, those sort of lies in there. Um, and, and, and I really, there's a little exchange, by the way, between Ellis and Holly in the party mm-hmm. where Holly realizes like, oh, this John, John's doing like, John's alive Uh, because nobody can get under people's nerves. Like John can (laughs) nobody this, he's doing this. And Ellis says, what is he doing? What? Like, Mm -hmm. like as an accusation, what is he doing? And she says his job, right? This is his job. And she, even she realizes like, Oh crap. They just, they messed with the wrong dude. He knows this job. This is his job. And, and then Ellis says, but his job is 3,000 miles away. In other words, like he doesn't have anything to do with this. Right. But, but again, his character is, I got, there are bad guys and I got to stop them. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then next he meets with Al, which I think is a really important part of the whole story. So I want to, I want to take off on that, that Ellis conversation again, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. we'll, we'll kind of. We'll take Alice to his to meet his end, and then we'll start jumping on. We'll we'll start engaging with Al's relate his relationship with Al, because he's Ellis is there now. He's not in his element, and he's super uncomfortable. But instead of sort of laying low or doing anything like a normal human, like Holly, when she does it, she's taking care of the people that look up to her. She's like, "Who put you in charge? Well, you did when you killed my boss." So yeah. she is being the leader. And Ellis is uncomfortable, doesn't like where things are going, 
he takes another bump of cocaine <laughs> and then says, I'm tired of waiting around to see who's going to kill us first. And uh, then he he sort of shows who he is in a crisis. I'm tired of sitting here waiting to see who gets us killed first, them or your husband. What are you going to do? Hey, babe, I negotiate million-dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. Hey, frequency talk, huh? Hope I'm not interrupting. What does he want? <laughs> it's not what I want. It's what I can give you. Look, let's be straight, okay? It's obvious you're not some dumb schmuck up here to snatch a few purses, am I right? You're very perceptive. I watch 60 Minutes. I say to myself, these guys are professional, they're motivated, they're happening, i.e., they want something, huh? Now, personally, I couldn't care less about your politics. Maybe you're pissed off at the camel jockeys, maybe it's the Hebes, Northern Island. It's none of my business. I figure you're here to negotiate, am I right? You're amazing. You figured this all out already. <laughs> hey. Business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. His arrogance is astounding. Well, but it's so instructive for us because, again, like you said, it's the contrast for... John McClane. It is the real contrast in the movie because John McClane sees a bad guy and he says, I don't care about the odds. I'm going to fight the bad guy. You know, I'm going to fight for what's good and right in this situation. And as much as we can look at Ellis and feel sick at our stomach at how, just how gross he is. (laughs) Ellis does something that a lot of us do is we say, well, yes. I'll just start participating in the lie. I'll just, I, I'll just give in. I, the only way to survive is for yep. me to start obeying this guy, for me to start working with him. And what we don't realize is we're, we're working with something that wants to kill and destroy us. We're, we're working with something. We're working with our enemy. And we think, well, if, if we just play along, and I think a lot of times we do that, we just start playing along. Yeah. And it's obviously dangerous to him. Yeah. I think it, to me, it reminds me of uh, Cypher from the right. Matrix, where we get, we sort of get, al- we try to get along. We try to make life work because that's the temptation of things get hard. There's a crisis, there's something going on, and we will do whatever it takes to ease the pain. Yeah. We don't want, we, we don't want to mature our faith. We don't want to become stronger. We don't want to discover greater characteristics. We just yeah. want to make the pain go away. Yeah. Right. And that could be through, it could be through, it could be through work. It could be through involvement with our kids. It could be through involvement in the church. It could be through alcohol. It could even be through ministry Yep. because that's where you go for your validation. Yep. He didn't, who was he? He was a negotiator. And he's like, well, that doesn't even seem like a thing. He would put on a mask for whatever situation he was in to appear comfortable. And like, he's like, oh, I, I do million dollar deals for breakfast. This is no problem for Superman like me. And what happens is he gets in over his head, but he doesn't realize it until it's too late. I have someone who wants to talk to you. A very special friend who was with you at the party tonight. 
John Boy. Ellis? Yeah. Now listen, John. Give me a few minutes to try to talk some sense into you. I know you think you're doing your job, John, and I can appreciate that, but you're just dragging this thing out. Now look, no one gets out of here until these guys can talk to the L.A. police, and that just ain't gonna happen until you stop messing up the works, capiche? Ellis, what have you told them? I told them we were old friends and you were my guest at the party. Ellis, you shouldn't be doing this. Tell me about it. Huh? All right, John, listen. They want you to tell them what the detonators are. They know people are listening. They want the detonators or they're gonna kill me. John, didn't you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Hey, John, I think you could get with the program a little, huh? The police are here now. It's their problem. Now, tell these guys where the detonators are so no one else gets hurt. You know, I'm putting my life on the line for you, pal. Ellis, listen to me very carefully. John. Shut up, Ellis. Just shut your mouth. Put Hans back on the line. Hans, this does not know what kind of man you are, but I do. Listen. Good. Then you'll give us what we want and save your friend's life. If you're not part of this equation, it's time you realized that. Hey. What am I, a method actor, Hans? Babe, <laughs> put away the gun. This is radio, not television. <laughs> Hans, this is not my friend. I just met him tonight. I don't know him. Jesus Christ, Ellis, these people are going to kill you. Tell them you don't know me. <laughs> John, how can you say that after all these years, huh? John. John. <laughs> And I think Ellis is a lot of us in a lot of ways where we think we're, we're doing fine. We're like, no, everything's great. You know, you see your buddies and they ask you how it's going and you're like, it's fine. Even though you're going through a six pack a night or you're working 80 hours a week or you're losing your mind over fantasy football because that's the only thing that brings you any joy or happiness. And next thing you know, you wake up and your wife is not living there anymore. You wake up and you're in the emergency department because you overdosed on drugs. When you change who you are, depending on who you're around or where you are, that splinters your personality, that splinters your heart, and you lose all integrity. Right. But your heart wasn't designed for that. And you wake up and you don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know how you're supposed to be. You're completely lost. And you either, you're, you, you, you wake up in a ditch, right? either figuratively or literally. <laughs> and in, in this case, in Ellis's case, he, like he's, you hear the, the soda, you know, the, the glass get put down, he's drinking a soda. He thinks he's in among friends. He thinks it's all an act. And John is there one. He knows who he's dealing with. He's terrified. He said something about Holly. Like, he doesn't care about Ellis. Ellis is just one more schmuck. Almost one more bad guy. But he says, what did you say? You know, he was worried that he had said something about Holly that would put her life in danger. And he's just like, what have you done? Who have you, what have you said? And that's where John goes with it. And then Ellis is obviously in way over his head. Yeah, I think he does 
care about Ellis to some degree. I mean, he, he's like, you got to, if you want to save your own life here, buddy, you have to tell them the truth about the, the fact that you don't know me. You, you should not be doing this. And then he even starts to, he even starts to appeal to Hans. He's like, Hans, don't listen to this guy. Like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I know who you really are, Hans, you know, this guy doesn't really know who you are. He thinks he does, but he really doesn't. And, and like, like you're saying, and when, when people start going down those paths, we want to kind of shake them and we're like, Hey man, yeah, this isn't going to end well for you. And, and, and they think, Oh no, I got it. I got it. I got it all under control. And again, that's part of the truth that we have to be revealed. Like there's this whole other big story going on and it is really that dangerous to you. Like there is, they are going to kill you and, or the enemy is going to kill you, you know, in a spiritual sense, this isn't something you compromise with or negotiate with. This is something you fight, right? You know, this, this is a guy you fight. And, and again, that that's the contrast with, with Holly. This is not a person he should be fighting, even though he's a fighter and she's a fighter. But that's actually, they're not supposed to be fighting each other. Uh, there's, there's, there's one really great scene uh, when we kind of get introduced to Al. We're, we're going to shift to Al. He, this is the buddy cop part of the, the movie. And, but it's so unique the way they do it. It's, it's over radio. And, and they have to be careful what they say because the enemy's listening in. Again, it's so spiritual, man. It's so amazing. But Al gets called in. And he hasn't met John yet on the radio or anything, but he gets called in, uh, you know, because John uses the radio to try to call the police and try to get, you know, all this stuff. And and the police are like, this is an emergency line. He's like, no (laughs) crap. Like this is an emergency. And, and through this whole process, I was thinking this, I said, how often do we as the church, do we as people who know there's a bigger story now that I know there's a bigger story going on and I try to tell people there's a bigger story story going on and they don't believe me yeah, and they don't understand, they don't get it or they think I'm crazy or they think you're just a weird Jesus guy or a zealot or whatever. And what, what he has to do to get out to pay attention is to throw a dead guy on him. Like he's got to throw a dead guy, literally throwing the dead into Al's face to say, this is a crisis. There is a bigger story going on. Wake up, wake up. And, and, Mm. and, and that's how I felt. I said, just in my mind, as I was watching that scene, I said, how often do we, do we do that? As again, I'm not, I don't have anything against being entertained and, and, and yes, our problems are important to God, but God is trying to help us to see there's something bigger happening that what you think is the most important thing right now is actually a distraction to some degree from mm-hmm. the biggest thing that's happening. And, and there's literally dead guys being thrown around. I just love that. Um, and then Al freaks out and backs his car, you know, down and crashes. And he's, you know, he's getting shot at now because the bad guys are like, oh, he's, he knows now. So now he's a target. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, I think we don't want to become a, a part of the bigger stories. We, we're going to become a target. Yep. So and now Al's a target and he's, and he's screaming for help. And, and John McClain has one of the best lines. He goes, welcome to the party, pal. Yep. Like, like this, like, like welcome to what's really been going on the whole time. 
and, and the world may not see it, but this is what's really been going on. And then, and then he starts to talk to Al and I just really think that is such a great writing tool because now that helps us to see a little bit more of John's character. Now, now he's got someone he can connect with because he's a cop and you start to see some of that camaraderie happen. Um, that again, that we need as men Yeah. in the midst of a crisis, we need our wives. We, if we're married, right. We do, we need their support. We need to not fight them, but you know what else we need? We actually need other men. Yeah. This is one of the most important things that buddy cop movies will show us is that you actually need other men to be emotional with. We saw it with replacements. We saw it with, um, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. We keep, we're going to keep seeing this because it is something that we as men actually need. And we think, well, I can just be emotional with my wife. And then we get frustrated because she doesn't always get it. She doesn't know how to frame things for us to. Well, and, if you need to sort of vent some of the frustration that is directed towards your wife, that doesn't normally go well when you actually share it with your wife. There's some stuff that you just have to kind of blow off so that your buddies could say, get yeah, one, really? You got mad about that? That's kind of no, not important at all. It's like, it seemed like a big idea at the time. Or say, wow, dude, you got to rein it in. You need to go talk to her. Yeah. You need to go, you know, they can guide you to a more healthy relationship, sort of like getting therapy for free. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's one of those things where I don't know if we need to get too into it this time, but it's going to keep coming up in these movies where these men are in these crisis situations and, and they connect with other men and how important that is. Uh, because th- that's something that we need uh, as men. When God, when God started to show that to me, I started to see it everywhere. I was a basketball coach in Korea and one of the guys did an awesome play and there were cheerleaders in short skirts right next to him on the sideline. After he did this amazing play, he didn't look at the cheerleaders. You know who, who, who he looked at? He looked at me. Hmm. He wanted to see what I thought. Yeah. And I thought, Oh my God, what, what a powerful thing. What, what, what a great amount of influence I can have in this person's life that I can go, I'm, I love you. I'm proud of you and speak in ways that encourage each other. Um, we just, we as men need to be intentional about finding those people. And, and in the movie, John is given this guy when he feels alone, when he feels at his least resourceful, he's got someone that he can talk to. He's got someone that he can communicate with. Uh, I, I just thought it was a really important part of the story for us. Well, and you look at it in the trailer of the podcast, I talk about how companionship and fellowship is part of those are part of those themes that God's put on us. Well, you see it because Jesus had it as his disciples. And even within the disciples, he had the three who were the closest to him. That's right. And then when they're going out in acts and they're going out on their trips, they would go in pairs. And you see that in all these things, because you're right, we were called to it and they know He's talking, you know, the, the chief comes in. He's like, who is this guy? He might be one of them. And Al's like, I think he's a badge. He's like, <laughs> based on what? My gut, your hunch, and, and he diminishes that. But at the same time, you know, you know these, these like-hearted kings, uh, something Dan Allender says is find mm. like-hearted kings Good. who are moving in the same direction and sign treaties with them. Good. And when they're at war, you're at war. Yeah. And it's important. And it might be just one dude. Yeah. But you need that that fresh look, 
that somebody who's outside your picture frame to help you understand what's going on from a, a little more objective uh, viewpoint, yeah. because man, it can, we can get taken out in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. There's a reason why Jesus sent them out by twos. Yeah. There's a reason why it wasn't just Saul or it wasn't just Barnabas who was called. It was Saul and Barnabas. And even when Saul and, or Paul at that point, when Paul and Barnabas and acts had their little tiff over uh, Mark, John Mark, that Barnabas took John Mark and Paul didn't go alone. Like it was so assumed that they would have to, they couldn't go alone. Right. That they had to go with somebody. Somebody had to go with them. Paul and Silas in the jail. And even Paul calling out Peter for, hey man, you're saying one thing, but you're doing exactly. something else. So it's encouragement. It's support. But it's also, hey man, you're, you're yeah. coloring outside the lines a little bit. It's, Call us out. because And you've got to have that relationship where you can speak the truth in love. You don't just speak the truth, then you're a jerk. But to do it in love with the goal of reestablishing the relationship, both of that person with God, but of that person with each other. Yeah. And we see this in the movie with Al, because not only is John encouraged, Mm -hmm. because he has somebody to talk to, but then Al, some of his story starts to come out. He shot a kid. Hey, pal, you got flat feet? What the hell are you talking about, man? Something had to get you off the street. What's the matter? You don't think jockeying papers across a desk is a noble effort for a cop? No. I had an accident. The way you drive, I can see why. What'd you do? Run over your captain's foot with the car. I shot a kid. He was 13 years old. It was dark, I couldn't see him. He had a ray gun look real enough. You know, when you're a rookie, they can teach you everything about being a cop except how to live with a mistake. Anyway, I just couldn't bring myself to draw my gun on anybody again. Sorry, man. Hey, man, how could you know? And I think in that moment, you see it where he's like, I had this mistake because we all have mistakes. We all have stuff that we regret and it may not be the outcome. We don't re- There may be something in our, but something we either don't want anybody to know about. We don't want, it's something that we don't wish on our biggest enemy, but it's also something like he and John were lighthearted. They both, they were there. They were the good guys. They fought the bad guys. And what his mistake did, Al's mistake, took him out. He couldn't do it anymore. I mean, it's a very emotional moment between two men where they actually connect on something. Where, like you said, John John is able to reach out to him and say, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that that's, I was kind of giving you a hard time. I didn't realize that, that was, there was a story behind that. And I just think it's a it's a really important part of that story because Al has his kind of redemption moment towards the end, where it's Al who kind of has the right. final hero moment, you know. Um, and by the way, we haven't mentioned yet that Huey Lewis is in this movie. Uh, it's actually not Huey Lewis, but there is one of the bad guys looks a lot like Huey Lewis from Huey <laughs> Lewis in the news. 
and and he's he's at the desk in the in the front early on <laughs> and he makes it all the way to the end he's the other guy that gets shot with when finally at the very end yeah yeah you know, cuz finally hans figures out that holly is is his wife is john's wife and so he takes her as hostage well and i want to touch back on that conversation between al and john Okay. Because the only reason that conversation happens goes back to the first scene of the movie because John was under fire. Hans now knows he doesn't have shoes. So they shoot out the glass and the only way for John to get out is to run through the glass. Right. And John's in the bathroom, picking glass out of his feet, wrapping him up, washing him. That's the sound that you hear is one, the water running to get the blood off and two, the glass clinking in the sink. Right. And I think that's sometimes what it takes for us to open up and to also receive something like that because he just went through something that he didn't want to go through. He's like, the only way for me to survive is to run through this broken glass. And now I'm here, I'm wounded, I'm vulnerable. And that's when that conversation with Al happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. You know, I, I just did a, a podcast with uh, our good friend, Alan Arnold, and we talked about his latest book. And and Alan, Alan says, uh, you know, a lot of times the crises and the chaos that comes in, come into our lives, they feel personal because they are. Like the problems that the enemy brings in are specifically designed for you. Yeah. And he specifically tailors his lies to you. Yeah. And just like in that scene, Hans because I had this little moment where again, Hans is a liar, right? Uh, he actually comes into contact with John, but pretends to be one of the party goers because John has a gun or whatever. And he had put his gun aside, but he notices that John doesn't have shoes on. So that whole scene is Hans is like, look, there, this is a flaw. This is, this is a way I can get him. This is a way yeah. we can kind of target him. Uh, and again, that's, that's what our enemy does spiritually. And in our lives, he brings situations in that, that he knows will frustrate us, that he knows will cause us to have fear and anger and hate and all of those things. And, and, and that's what he does with the glass uh, in the showing don't telling sort of way is like, Oh, now I got to Now I got to run across broken glass to be the hero. Now I got to do the one thing I don't want to do uh, to be the hero. So yeah, it's really good. And it's the same thing for Al. Al is going to be a great cop. He's got a good head about him. He knows what's going on. He's got good instincts. And he got taken out because of his mistake. And that shame and that condemnation, the fear overwhelmed him. So he couldn't be who God had created him to be. And I think a lot of us live like that. Something happened in our past that takes us out, that that causes us hesitancy that we don't want to engage or we can't engage because of fear, but that personal, it's personal. He shot out the glass. There's a kid in the dark who had a ray gun. Yeah. And it's all orchestrated to, for us to lose heart. Yeah. Because you, you know, Al didn't get into becoming a cop to kill an innocent kid. That's the exact opposite of, of why he became a cop. And, and it actually shows his good heart to be so, disturbed by what he did. And so, yeah. So, but his redemption arc, you know, is of course at the end, spoiler alert is that he's, he's the one who ends up shooting one of the bad guys who's boom, he's still alive, you know, whatever. Somehow still alive. Yeah. Somehow he's still alive. 
So right before, like right after that conversation with, with Al, John has his transformative moment where the whole thing starts. He's going out to see his wife and his kids. He's got the big teddy bear. He's out of his element. And now he's in his element and in his, I think in his element, he starts understanding what's important. He, as you, as you mentioned, crisis reveals character and he doesn't know if he's going to make it out. He's like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it out of here, Al. I need you to do something. I need you to give Holly a message. Pal. Yo, pal, you got a minute? I'm here, John. Listen, man, I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. I want you to do something for me. Um, <clears throat> I want you to find my wife. Don't ask me how, by then you'll know how. Uh, I want you to tell her something. I want you to tell her that... Um, <sighs> tell her it took me a while to figure out... Ah, uh, what a jerk I've been. But, um... That... That when things started to pan out for her, I should have... been more supportive. And, uh... I just should have been behind her more. Tell her that, um, that she is the best thing that ever happened to a bum like me. She's heard me say I love you a thousand times. She never heard me say I'm sorry. And I want you to tell her that, Alan. I want you to tell her that, uh, John said that he was sorry. And that's, that's that transformative moment. That's you know, the, the story is, Hey, I did this. I did this. He's trying to, to prove that he's been right all along. He's like, no, my job, there's a right. backlog of bad guys in New York. I gotta, I am the only one that can stamp them out. When really in a lot of times we do that, you know, whether it's work or kids or whatever it is, we like, I am the only one who can do this, but there are some jobs that are literally only ours to do. Only, only I can husband my wife. Only I can father my children. And if I don't do it, somebody else will. Yeah. And, and it was such an important part of that realization for him that her becoming who she was supposed to be was not a threat to him. It didn't diminish him at all. It didn't, it didn't diminish him at all. And, and this is something that's really important for men and women and people to hear is that other people becoming who they were created to be should make us happy. Just like we went over in the, in the replacements that we want to see the person you are and the person you could be. We want to see that happen with my wife, with, with my kids, like with people in my church, even, even if that means they leave my life. I mean, you know, my kids, right? Like even if right. they leave the house and they go off and you do other things. You don't want them living there forever. I don't want them living there forever. <laughs> I don't want my wife to be the same person she was 10 years ago. 
I want right. her to grow. I want her to have more opportunities. I want to believe and, and fighting for her to have those opportunities doesn't diminish me at all. It doesn't mean less. Uh, in fact, for most of my marriage until we started to have kids and she, and she stopped working, my wife made more than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first, you know, five or 10 years <laughs> of our marriage. Um, and uh, it didn't bother me because, because I have to be secure, first of all, in Christ. And when you've got other men around you, and when, like I, we were talking about before, when you're in a community of faith and, and, and you realize, because she's supposed to do it with me too. We're supposed to do it with each other. We're supposed to encourage each other because like we said in the movie, she believes John is great at his job. Yeah. She's like, oh crap. He's being John and there's nothing that she loves more than John being John. No, that she's like, look, he can piss any, anybody <laughs> off and he's going to, right. I mean, she keeps, she keeps going back to this. Like he, they don't know what they've started. Like, yeah. even though he he's the least resource yeah. and she's proud of him and, and she's got a smile on her face because he's being who he was created to be. He's, he's being, he's fulfilling his purpose, you know? And I just think that's a really important part is to say part of being a good leader as a man. And I, I believe we are supposed to be leaders, not, not over people, but we're supposed to be servant leaders. But part of being a leader in anyone's life is to help them find out who they're really supposed to be, help encourage them, support them, you know, push them forward to be whoever they're supposed to be. It doesn't diminish us at all. In fact, it's just going to make us better people. It's just going to make us stronger because we're going to learn and then we're going to be, and they'll encourage us and, you know, in return, they'll have that freedom. And so I just think that was really important part of that. I'm glad you had that clip. That was really good. Yeah. To me, that was the the moment where, I mean, that's where he, change. That's really good. Yeah. Like, I, she's, she's heard me say a million times. I, I love her. She's never heard me say, I'm sorry. Great line. And I think for, for us as men, we have to say, where do we need to apologize to our wives? Yeah. Right. Where do we have to say, Hey, I'm not perfect. I, I, I got this wrong. I haven't been treating you right. I haven't been supporting you because I've been, it could be fear. I've been afraid that you'll forget about me that I don't, (laughs) as he says, he's like, she's the best thing that ever happened to a bum like me. It's almost like if she wakes up, she's going to realize she got a raw deal by picking me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, we've talked too about, we've married up in our, we, we kicked our coverage for sure. Overpunted our coverage for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So he goes and he puts things together. John does. Uh, That's the last time they really, he really, we see him talk to Al on the radio. And he goes because he's like, what was, what was going on? And he figures it out. And then he goes to the final confrontation. He's set the, the captives free. Yeah. Yeah. That was important. That was Hans good. still has Holly. And so he goes to rescue. Yeah. And, and there, there's, there's a couple important parts here um, in the sense of what Han Hans, excuse me, what Hans lies about Mm. in front of everyone else. His lie is I'm here against capitalism and greed. Like he actually sounds like he's got some sort of noble purpose, right? He wants to, he tells the FBI, he wants these, these people, these political prisoners to be free. So that's always part of the devil's lie. The devil doesn't come to you and say, 
I'm the devil. I'm here to kill you. Right. The devil comes to you and says, Oh, I'm against, I'm against, I'm against greed. I'm against capitalism. I'm against, but he's the greedy one. Right. Like he's actually the one. Um, you're right. You know, didn't, did God really say that you yeah. couldn't have the, you know, did God really? Uh, we probably shouldn't take too much time on it, but there's this whole theme that happens, you know, because John McClane's supposed to be the underdog and, and this is what happens in movies, but there's this whole theme where, they don't get who John is. They don't know who John is. They don't believe him. Al's the only one who believes him. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, like you, like you mentioned, and they keep interpreting facts differently. And, and the world does this too, right? The world sees sees the same facts, right? Because Al says, "Look, he did this. He did that." And like you said, the FBI or the chief goes, "He he's one of them." Yeah. Like this could be just as much real, and that's why. Again, we we have to become a part of the story to understand what's going on. If we're not a part of the story, we don't understand what's going on. Like he didn't say that to the rest of the, the police force. He didn't say, welcome to the party pal to the whole police force. He just said it to that one guy. That yeah. one guy now knows there's something serious. And he's like, well, there's a dead guy that hit my windshield. Oh, he could have just been depressed and killed himself on Christmas. You know I mean? Like, <laughs> like they keep reinterpreting right. facts and we do that too. We, mm-hmm. we look at what's going on and we think, well, it can't be that serious. It can't be that can't, it's serious. It's not that bad. You're, you're talking crazy. It's not that bad. And God wants you to know it's that bad. Like he would not have sent his son to die for you if it wasn't that bad. If it wasn't that serious, he would not have sent his son to suffer and die and, and, be, and be raised again from the dead. Like that was for that to happen. For God so loved the world, he didn't want this world to perish. It, it, it was that serious to him. And, and God wants us to know it's that serious. This is a serious thing that's happening right now in the unseen realm, in, in the spiritual. And people are going to call you crazy and they're going to go, spiritual warfare, that's weird. You know, uh, that's what right. those other people do. And, but if you actually read the Bible, right? so if you're like, these guys are talking crazy, but you, you're wondering where we get it, set some time aside, read the book of Mark. And just say, God, show me, show me what it is you're trying to say about the devil, about spiritual warfare, yeah. about the opposition that we face. And it is throughout. There's demons everywhere. They fall like lightning. Jesus takes command and authority over the, the powers That's of right. darkness. There's angels everywhere. And now it's like Normandy. Jesus coming was like Normandy. Yeah. But we're still having to free the rest of the world. Like we get to participate. Like you said, the larger story is exactly the coming of the kingdom of God where we have to take back what God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. And we have to take back yes. and we do it in partnership. It's perfect. With God. Yeah. Man, I could talk about this all day, but the, the, let's look at the Lord's prayer just really quickly. We talk about we're being invited into the bigger story and we're being invited to always keep the bigger story in mind and in perspective. When they asked Jesus, how do we pray? They never asked Jesus how to preach. Do you remember that? They never asked Jesus how to heal. They never asked Jesus how to do anything else. The only thing they asked Jesus how to do was pray because they're like, something different happens when he prays. That's different. We've never seen that. It's all, I don't know if it was liturgical. I don't know what they saw that was different from the priests of their day, but they saw something different. What they saw was a son talking to his dad is what they saw. But they said, teach us how to pray. And he said, I'll tell you what to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Address him as father who loves you. And then say your kingdom come. 
your will be done. Like everything that comes afterwards, that's personal. Give us our daily bread. Keep us from temptation. All this is stuff that's really personal. It's all put in context of what? Of the kingdom, the kingdom coming. And, And again, it's not that God doesn't care about what you eat. He does care that you have something to eat and that you, you don't give him into temptation. He cares about your personal problems, but it has to be within that context that your kingdom, like you said, is coming here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and again, that's, that's what's going on. There's a bigger story. And we haven't even talked about the reporter who's like this most annoying character ever. Well, and in that prayer, what we're doing is we're aligning our heart with God's. Exactly. So it's like, you know what? It's not my kingdom. It's your kingdom. That's right. It's not my will. It's your will. Yeah. And it's when we free ourselves from those desires. We say, God, what you want, I want. Yeah. And then when that happens, we can be, we have that freedom of saying, well, I know that I want what God wants so I can pursue those desires Yeah. because they're not my desires. They're God's desires. Yeah. And, and we know that in context, if you seek the kingdom, he, he knows what you need and he'll get you, he'll get it to you. Yeah. And, 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 but it's always in context of, of the kingdom. Um, so I, I love the ending. I don't know how we want to get to the end here, but, uh, but there's was one part of the end that I really like. What part is it? Well, it's the, it's the part where Hans is, Hans is dangling from the building. Oh, so Bruce Willis walks in, John McClane walks in, he sees him, he's, uh, Hans, Hans has Holly prisoner and then he shoots him in this epic battle scene and. I think I can't remember if if it's Ode to Joy playing or Let It Snows. There is a, yeah, there's a something. Christmassy type of song. But he's only got two bullets left. Right. And so he does this kind of bait and switch where he puts down the the machine gun and then he shoots the two guys. He shoots Hans and Huey Lewis. That's who the other guy is. He, <laughs> he, he shoots Hans and Huey Lewis. And and then he he does the little blow action on the on the muzzle of the gun like like a cowboy um but then hans drags holly down tries to drag him down with them and what a spiritual picture that as the devil's going down he's trying to drag something he's still trying man he is still trying to get at you he knows he's going down he knows he doesn't have a shot he knows he's dead but he is going to try to drag down the things that you love the things that are important he's going to try to drag that stuff with him and he's hanging on to holly and what's what he's hanging on to is her watch show him the watch right? <laughs> it's the same Rolex that that Ellis was trying to get her to be proud of. And maybe she was proud of it. We don't really see that in the movie. But John reaches down and unclasps the watch. And that's what that's what removes Hans from his wife is we're letting go of these material things. We're letting go of what we see. We're letting go of these things so we can be together. Because yes. this stuff is going to drag us down. Trying to find this stuff important, the watches and the jobs and the money and the, and the status and all the stuff we're trying to find. Now, again, they have purpose. She, she's very skilled. She's very competent. She's amazing. She's a great leader. Maybe she became the head of the company after that right. movie. I don't remember what happens in, in the second one, if she's the head of the company or not. But all that to say, she's, it's not that she's not competent, doesn't have a purpose, but that, but Again, they're holding on to these things that are second best. And and they could have found a way, like, how can we both 
serve our purpose together. But anyways, I just th- found it so imp- such a such great writing that yeah. he he had to they had to let go of something material for that was part of her job, just like he had to come to her and come into her world to try to reach out from the beginning so that they could kind of be resolved, you know? It's this idea of holding it loosely. Yeah. It's, you can hold it, but don't hold it with the death grip, white knuckling. This is, I need this to live, or it feels like death. If I lose this, we have to hold the things of this world loosely Yeah, and to be able to be a part of that larger story. Otherwise, we'll get pulled right out of the building and hit the pavement. <laughs> exactly. So one more thing. Holly hits the reporter. I love the fact that she hits the reporter. And we've already talked about it. Al shoots the guy. She introduces herself, by the way, at the end as Holly McLean. Right. That's very important. Yeah. Now she's, uh, again, they're showing us the fact that they're, they're together. They're they're hugging. They're you know all of that stuff, and they get Argyle comes in, and we didn't even talk about how Argyle got to have his little part to play. Just like everybody has their part to play in the bigger story, all of these characters have their mm-hmm. part to play. And uh, just as a little comment on the movie, I I actually saw this movie in the theater. I probably wasn't old enough, but I'm I'm a tall guy. You remember that I'm tall, <laughs> so I got away with going into some of these movies even when I uh, I probably was too young. This was like the anti-action movie, action movie. Like, if you remember from the 80s, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, you had Sylvester Stallone, you had Musclebound, you had James Bond, you had like all these. And and here they give us this everyman character who is against all odds. He's got no tricks other than, like I said, like this MacGyverish sort of like, I got to be creative with what I've got. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons, that's another reason why I think this movie really continues to be popular is not only the emotional side of it, of family and something primal and, and reconciliation and, and a lot of these un, unconscious things that we probably don't even realize, or subconscious things we probably don't realize we're connecting with. But another one is, is that idea that anybody can be a hero. Anybody put in the right situation, if they respond correctly, can be a hero. Right, and and that uh, that I think really connects with people because this isn't this isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger who's muscle bound and you know just can just he's not a superhero a car he's not a superhero he's just a regular kind of everyman character and and I think that that's important for us to remember as men is that like you said uh, there's one job there's something that only I can do right. Uh, with my wife, with my kids. And I think with, when you look at it, you know, he's in, going back a little bit when he's in there, he's like, Hey, come to the coast. We'll have a few laughs. It'll be a great time. And then as the, uh, the roof is blowing up, he's got the fire hose. He's jumping over and he's like, what are you doing? How did you get into this? And we all have those situations where we are like, I don't want to be here. Like at no point did he really want to be doing what he was doing. No. But he could have, you know, hidden in an elevator. He could have checked out. He could have probably used the fire hose thing to to scale down the side of the building and somehow escape. But the question becomes not what am I doing here, but what can I do? Yeah. What can I do? It's it's the same question with different different uh inflections and and emphasis is what am I doing here? Yeah. Like that, that sense of expectancy, not of doom and failure and damnation, 
but of hope of God, what do you have for me to do in this? Yeah. What is your kingdom in this? Yeah. You know, going back to what we were talking about, how, Absolutely. how am I supposed to bring who I am into this situation that I don't even want to be in? Yeah. You know, it's the opposite of, of another older movie clerks where the guy keeps saying, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. Yeah. None of us are supposed to be here. It doesn't make any sense, but we just have to do we have to be who God created us to be in the environment that God's placed us in. And then that's when we see the, the miracles and the transformation of our hearts actually happen. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, realize that even though we may feel like a bum, even though we may feel shame at a mistake in the past or whatever, however we feel about ourselves, the fact that we are under-resourced, we have, we don't have the resources. Everyone's got more than us. All, all that stuff that John McClain could feel in, in that movie, we have to realize that there are there are some situations. It's not all, but there are some situations in our life that is up to us to be the hero, and 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 God will help us if we'll do what He does in the movie. You stop and you think, and be creative with and be who you were created to be. And, and just believe that God wouldn't have put you there unless he, unless he knew what you could, what you were capable of through him and through following him. So, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. It's not because of our uniqueness or our specialty. It's because of our ordinariness. Yeah. And what he says, you know, whether it's Moses or David or Jonah or anybody in the Bible that God pursues and says, yeah, I'm going to use you. It's not because of it, you know. It's like Gideon got three thirty thousand guys. He's like, yeah, it's too many. You might think you did something. Yeah. Cut it down to three hundred, and then I'll use you. Yeah. And so uh, we'll just we'll. He uses. He loves somebody who says, "I don't have anything." Yeah. He's like, "Okay, now we've got something to start with." Yeah. <laughs> but you can have my heart. Yeah. That's all I have is who I am. Yeah. He's like, "All right, that's enough." Yeah. When when the whole army looks at Goliath and says, "No, we can't beat this guy," and David says, "I got a call. I don't even. I can't." I can't wear your armor, King. You know, I, I, I'm gonna yeah. just gonna. I can't be you. I can't yeah. be you. I, I can only be me. But I'm gonna fight, and and that's and we love that part of the movie too, right? That attitude, right? Die hard, like I mean, you know, as a guy. <laughs> but again, why do why do we connect with that? Because that's who that's who men are called to be. We're we're called to get in and fight for what's good and right. Not fight the people we love, but fight for them. Not fight them. Uh, and that's that's why God gave us that that mentality and that heart is to fight for them, for their freedom, for their love, for their goodness and all that stuff. So we hope that you enjoyed this conversation with right. uh, Paul McDonald and Brit movie, ta- Brit Mooney, Brit movie. That's Brit your movie. nickname. I can't pick up And we were talking about Die Hard, uh, the, the classic Christmas movie. And uh, we hope that you guys all enjoy your Christmas seasons. And uh, we'll see you next time here on the men at the movie podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody.